you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to retrieve them and <clears throat> open them up. We've made it to uh, chapter 20 <clears throat> um, in this uh, chapter is the discussion about the millennial kingdom. And uh, it's one of those topics, <clears throat> anybody here ever heard of that term before, millennial kingdom, thousand year reign of Christ? Um, <clears throat> anybody here a little confused as to what all that's going to be like? Right? Kind of confused about it? Um, you know what's weird about that? There's a massive amount of scriptures that deal with it. Isn't that amazing? There's actually a lot. As a matter of fact, too many for me to show you this morning. <clears throat> but I want to go over a lot of the details and give you some of the parameters of some of the stuff that will be going on uh, during that thousand-year reign um, <clears throat> that there are large chunks of the Old Testament that actually deal with this. Um, and so I want to read through this chapter. It's 15 verses. And our main focus is going to be on the millennial kingdom and everything that's going on there and who's there and, you know, kind of what's happening. And then there's this uh, little, you know, side note, you know, the defeat of Satan. Woohoo! <laughs> right? Um, and, and then after that, we've got the great white throne judgment. Uh, both of those are uh, fairly short uh, sections uh, this chapter is kind of divided up into these three sections. The first one's dealing with the millennial kingdom, and then the second one with the defeat of Satan, and then after that, uh, God judging um, everybody whether they are righteous or not. So let's uh, let's read through this chapter, and then we'll we'll go through it and see if we can uh, make some sense out of this. Starting with verse one in Revelation chapter twenty. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast nor its image, uh, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out <clears throat> to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together uh, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
Then I saw a great great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at this for a second here. We've got, this, like I said, this first section that deals with the millennial kingdom and, and who is there. And before we focus just on that, because like I said, there are a lot uh, of passages uh, to cover uh, that deal with it. I do want to cover uh, this issue about uh, Satan, this uh, dragon, and the great white throne judgment, just in case, because I will run out of time today. It's, it just, it's just going to happen. Um, the good news here is that during this thousand years, uh, we see where there's this angel that shows up, and he's got a key to the bottomless pit. He opens it, and he grabs Satan, this ancient serpent, the devil. Um, Satan is uh, a title. It's not really his name. It means the accuser. Um, and so this, this angelic seraphim that we know as Lucifer that had the most prominent position in heaven, uh, who fell and rebelled against God, and has since that time been trying to thwart God's plan. Because once again, if he can, he's got an, um, a reason to legally argue against his eternal demise. Because if he can prove God is on some level equal with him, he can say, you know, God, you ain't all that, so you really don't have the authority to send me there forever. That's what he's after. He's trying to get out of being sent there forever. Uh, it's why everyone hates the Jew. It's why he's doing what he's doing. It's why he's enraging the world. A- anything at all possible to try to stop God from accomplishing what he said he was going to do. Um, well, <clears throat> we see here that there's an angel, and we're not told here that this is Yeshua. It just says an angel... And he has a key to the bottomless pit and and this chain, and he throws him into the pit. Well, I see that as actually good news. Because we have this picture that we have Jesus, he's all-powerful, and then there's these other angels, Gabriel and Raphael and some of these other guys uh, that are, you know, these archangels. You know, then there's this other being over here, Satan, and he's just as powerful as these archangels. That's kind of how we envision it, right? No. His power and his authority has already been stripped from him. What he has been given is authority over this earth and the kingdoms of this earth. 
This is why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan goes, hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you these kingdoms. And Jesus didn't dispute it. Because Jesus coming back, Yeshua coming back, dying on the cross and all this, is so that he can reclaim the earth and all the kingdoms and claim that he is God and put earth back into this Garden of Eden age. Um, and so Satan was trying to shortcut it. And through that process also, you see, I'm equal with God. You worshiped me. You can't throw me down there without realizing that he was also talking to Yahovah in the flesh. Um, anyways, so the good news here is that we've got another angel. We don't know who he is. But evidently, he's strong enough to grab Satan, bind him in this great chain, it says, and throw him into this bottomless pit. And it says, and he basically shuts the door and he seals it over him. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Somebody. I mean, he's not only just thrown into a jail. It says that it is pretty much slammed shut and sealed over him so that he can't deceive the nations anymore for a thousand years. Okay? Um, after that, um, it says that there was this great white throne, and, he who, and, and then he saw someone who was sitting on it. We know that this is Yeshua. And the two things I want to point out to you here is that at this time is when he says that he, he will judge the great and the small, um, everybody from kings to servants, everybody who has ever lived and is living. And I want you to notice something because this is really important. It says in verse 12 that these books were opened. This is the Day of Atonement, folks. <clears throat> this is the fulfillment of the yearly Day of Atonement where they discuss how all these books are opened, that there are books in heaven, and what we are doing and saying and thinking and not doing that we should have done and doing that we shouldn't have done, it's all getting written down. There's like this hard drive in heaven that's got it all collected. And I want you to notice here that on Judgment Day, you and I will not be judged by our belief system. It never says that anywhere. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, comma, according to what they had done. You see, in the book of James, it says, you can't, basically, you can't have faith without works. Your works indicate what your faith really is. If you have no works, that should be a huge red flag for us that there's a problem with our faith not our actions. Because you're going to naturally live out what you actually think is important. It's going to come, you can't keep from doing it. What you think in your heart really is important, that's the stuff you're actually going to chase. 
Scary, huh? That's where you're really going to spend your money. That's where you're going to spend your time. That's where you're going to spend your energy. That's what you're going to invest your life in, what you actually think is important. Not what you think you think is important. Because we all know the right answers to give, right? But what we do tells us what we really actually think. And that's the scary part. Then it says it again. Once again, if you see something repeated in Scripture, pay attention, right? In verse 13, it says it again. It says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Not what you think or not what you say you believe. It's easy to say you believe something. It's easy. What's challenging is when our actions don't agree with what we say that we think we believe. Isn't that weird? But it's so true, and it's a truth that most of us don't want to look at. We like to say we like this, and we say we like that, and we say we're committed to this, and then we go do something else, and we think it's not connected. It is connected. Um, so... I just, I just want you to understand that and, and hold on to that. Now let's get into the meat of this about this millennial kingdom. And like I said, there is a massive amount of scriptures that deal with this. And I find it ironic that most of us, myself included, don't fully understand what all is going to be happening during this millennial kingdom all we really typically know is, okay, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ, and, and then the judgment, and then the end, and, and, we really, and we go, okay, I have no idea what that's supposed to look like. Yet, we're told specifically what it's going to look like. But now I'm going to tell you why most of the time it's not why people don't want to look at it. It's because it's extremely, extremely problematic for people who say that the law doesn't apply to us today. It's extremely problematic for those that hold to a, what is called a dispensationalist view of Scripture. What that means, I'm going to really simplify that. <clears throat> it means that God works in different sections of time in different ways with different people. During the, I'll say it this way, the Old Testament dispensation of time, it is believed that God worked through mankind and through the Jewish people differently than the way he works during the church age dispensation. And that during the millennial dispensation, it will be different. And then after that, it will be different. But there is a continuity with God from beginning to end on the way he has worked and Yeshua was clear when he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it, shed the proper light on it. And if you lessen the smallest one of these laws and teach others to do also, you'll be called, watch this, least in the kingdom. But if you keep, which means guard, honor, respect, and hold authoritative in your life, and you teach others to do also, then you will be called great 
in the kingdom. Now let's look at this thousand-year reign of that kingdom. Doesn't mean that it's only a thousand years. It is a thousand-year period within the kingdom. What that means, because the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. It's here. He is reigning and ruling, period. But certain things need to happen, and he's allowing and dictating all these things to happen, and he's got a section of time in his kingdom that he has isolated called this thousand-year period. It just says that there's a thousand years where something happens, and we call it the millennial kingdom as though it's a separate kingdom. It's not separate. It's just something that happens within the kingdom for a thousand years. Right? You following what I'm saying there? So it's not that it's a separate kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. It's not established then. It's reigning and ruling now, but something special will happen during that thousand-year period. And where it will happen. It's going to happen on earth. From Jerusalem. In Israel. For a thousand years. We have to keep all this in mind as I go through this because it's absolutely fascinating. Um, And it's during that thousand years that Satan is bound in the pit, and watch this, and during those thousand years, watch this, he cannot deceive the nations. Hmm. Kind of let that, think about that for a second. During the thousand years that Satan is bound and the kingdom that's this millennial kingdom is reigning and ruling on the earth with Jesus sitting on the throne there in Jerusalem Yeshua Satan will not be allowed to deceive the nations what I'm trying to get you to see here is that there will be nations people groups not everybody on earth is going to be living in Israel which tells me there will be people living in what we today know as Roy City. Here. You tracking with all that? It's important to understand that because there's, like I said, there is a mountain of scriptures that deal with this uh, topic. I've got uh, a section of scripture to start with. Which one did I give you, Matthew? Was it uh, in Ezekiel 39, verses 25 through 29? Let me read it from up here. Um, I had an interesting night last night with God, and it was uh, was sweet. And I got into some passages and just couldn't stop. And it was about 2 in the morning before I stopped. Um, And so I've got some things in my head and on here that, aren't over there. I just got sidetracked. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Before, I, before we move on, back, back up. I, I, I want you to remember and see something here. 
it says that um, the Lord is going to restore the fortunes, and there's two groups here listed. He's talking about the two houses. The house of Jacob, the house of Judah, and the house of Israel. He says, I'm going to restore the fortunes, plural, of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. Are you seeing that? I'm trying to reemphasize this because there are a lot of people and people that I respect theologians that I respect that would say, I believe in a two-house theory. That it's a theory that God's going to restore the two houses. All that happened uh, when the people of Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity from the time of Daniel and Jeremiah and all of that. And, And I'm going, well, it's ridiculous because the massive amount of scriptures talks about that that's still a future event. And here's one where it says, at this time, this is what he's going to do with these two houses. And now I want you to see something that's critical, very critical. I'm going to say it again and again and again so that we can hold on to this. And I want you to see why he is doing everything that he's been doing, why he's doing it now, and why he will do it in the future. And why he's even going to do this with the millennial kingdom, and why he's going to restore Israel, and why he has grafted us into Israel. It's because he has said multiple, multiple times that this is exactly what he's going to do, and I'm going to show you why. And this isn't the only place it's listed. It is all over Scripture. And I will be jealous for my holy name. It is critical in understanding this. He's not doing it because Israel is so special and they're better than everybody else. He's not going to do it because you are so special and better than everybody else. He's not going to do it because the church is so special and better than everybody else. He's... He goes, look, I'm going to do this even though you are rebellious, stiff-necked people, and I'm going to scatter you everywhere because you're so rebellious. Evil, mean, and nasty, if you will. But I'm still going to bring you back for the sake of my holy name. He says, I'm going to remember my name, and I'm going to do it for my sake. You have to remember all of this. It's fundamental to every single thing that's happening in your Bible. It's fundamental to understanding prophecy. If you can't, you, you need to repeat this until you're almost sick of hearing it. Because it'll change the way you look at yourself. It'll change the way you look at your life. It'll change the way you look at your neighbors. It'll change the way you look at God. Let's, let's, let's go on and say, so he's going to do this because he's going to be jealous, jealous, He's not going to share his honor with another. Not even you and not even me. He's going to be jealous for his holy name. Going to the next. 26. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery that they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with no one to make them afraid. That's going to be when. Are they afraid now? Are they being Challenge now, do you know that there's some, there's some things happening right now, this very second, that are 
let me say fascinating. The, the Palestinians are threatening all-out war if President Trump announces the United States affirmation that Jerusalem is the everlasting capital of Israel, which he is threatening to do. There are reports that within this last week, he was in a meeting and all this came up and he became furious in the White House. He's threatened to cut off all communication with the, uh, with the Palestinians. And then they said, well, we're freezing communications with the United States. I'm sitting there going, how do you think you're eating for crying out loud? Um, now the Palestinians are calling an emergency meeting right now with a lot of the Arab states to try to figure out what to do to stop President Trump from making this proclamation. On top of that, there is already groundwork that has been done. I don't know if that means construction or what, in Jerusalem to move the embassy there. And why is all this happening now? Because today is the third, and on the fourth is the six-month deadline for him to sign the waiver to delay moving the embassy once again. That should tell you that this hasn't happened yet. That's my point. A war is coming. It's coming. But Trump is building this alliance with Saudi Arabia, Israel, and a number of other countries, including Egypt, and these other countries to fight against, watch this, Iran. If there's one thing we should figure out now, Trump's not scared of anybody. And he said, I'm not going to let Iran get a nuke. Everybody knows it, but it has never been said officially, but Israel has them. Everybody knows that. Israel has them. We gave it to them. Um. So it's interesting. My point is, this hasn't happened yet. It's still future. That's my point. So this idea of this two-house thing being a theory can't be a theory. It's ridiculous to call it a theory. I don't know why people come up with this. It's plain and simple. Go to the next verse. When I have brought them back from the peoples, meaning all over the world, this is the greater exodus. It hasn't happened yet. All, from all the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't happened yet. But is it going to happen? Of course it's going to happen. Go on to the next verse. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into the very own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore. Now, Israel was founded in 1947. And everybody says, well, they're all back. They're not all back. This hasn't happened yet. But was the nation born in a day? Yes. I don't have time. I, I read some news just this morning. I'm, I'm an addict. 
I am, I'm an addict. But I read some news this morning about Mike Pence. And man, I like that guy. My goodness, I like that guy. Man, he gave a speech at the UN. It is just absolutely mind-boggling. Um, and, and I saw a report from Israel talking about the possibilities, the possibility of Trump being in the White House another seven years and then eight years with Mike Pence. I got goosebumps. And I thought, are you kidding me? What are the possibilities? The possibilities are huge if people like us, Bible-believing Christians that love God, love Israel, and love the sovereignty of our own country, will get up off our rear ends and vote instead of being lazy. Anyways, one more verse, I think. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour, my, pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. All this hasn't happened yet. Israel is just as messed up, if not worse, than we are. They are not a nation filled with really godly people. If you... You kind of have to get that out of your head. There's a whole lot of Israelis that are there for one reason. Make money. And they also got tired of being abused anywhere else. There are some there that are extremely ultra-Orthodox and not godly. There are some that are ultra-Orthodox and are godly. There are some there that are, anyways, it's, it's messed up. So God hasn't poured out His Spirit on the whole house of Israel yet. It just simply hasn't happened. So I want you to notice something. I'm gonna, I've got a number of other verses that I don't even have back there yet, Matt. The first one is in Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. I want to read this because, um, and but before I actually read it, I want to show you something. So it's like, okay, so who is there in this millennial kingdom? That's one of the things that we want to settle. Who's, who's going to be there? Well, number one, not everybody in the world dies during the tribulation period. Not everyone dies. So there will be human beings that make it through the tribulation period, that will be there in the kingdom with a body just like this one. Except things will be a little different. Then there's also going to be some resurrected saints. This gets really interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> um, there's a lot of debate about this. Uh, it says... That he sees in verse 4, he says, Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who authority to judge was committed. They've been given authority to judge. These are not just pew sitters. These are people in the kingdom that have given, been given authority to judge, be rulers. Oh, we've got so far to go. 
so sad, too, after 2,000 years we can't figure this out because we just refuse to read our Bibles. It's ridiculous. They were given authority to judge. It was committed to them. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the Word of God. We've got to stop there for a second. They'd been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the Word of God. This is referring to Revelation 12 and Revelation 14, where it talks about the qualities of the saints that Satan is mad at and killing during the tribulation period. They have two characteristics. They hold to the testimony of Yeshua, and they keep, if you will, the Word of God, the commandments of God. They hold to the Word of God. They're not adulterating the Word of God, like is happening all over the Christian church today. We make it out to say whatever we want it to say. And it is ridiculous, and we can't figure out why we're filled with sickness and death and destruction, even within the church, and confusion, and you name it. It's because we won't live by the Word. It's not authoritative in our lives. We go by what we think's right in our own heart. It's ridiculous. Uh, and so what it's saying here is that there are these souls that are resurrected that have a characteristic. The characteristics are that they hold to the testimony of Yeshua and they were also killed because of the Word of God. Now, I contend that that's talking about that character, those characteristics that we've already studied. Some want to turn this into two separate groups once again. And I'm like, well, that's not what it says. Hermeneutics. Let's go over it again. Number one rule, read it in. Read it in context. Number two, you take the simple surface meaning of the words for the first interpretation of any passage. Meaning, don't go jumping into all these deeper spiritual, you know, elusive you know, metaphorical meanings. Just what does it simply say? <laughs> and take that as the first interpretation. Thirdly, let Scripture interpret Scripture. I think I just did that. In the context, it's talking about these souls that are resurrected. They enter into this millennial kingdom, and they have the characteristics of what we've already read about, about the Christians, if you will, the believers in Yeshua that are dying during the tribulation. And the two characteristics are they hold to the testimony of Yeshua and they keep the commandments of God or they are guarding the word of God. It doesn't mean that they're doing every one of them. It means they're keeping it. They're guarding it. They're saying it's authoritative for our lives, not piecemeal. So here it says the same thing. These are the souls that got beheaded during the tribulation period. And it says that they are also characterized by the fact that they didn't worship the beast or its image and they didn't receive the mark on their foreheads. They refused to do that. It says these souls came to life and reigned with Christ. Hmm. How long? A thousand years. Can it be any more obvious who these people are? It says the rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. It says this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. I know everybody's going, yeah, there's only two resurrections. There's a resurrection unto life and the resurrection unto the death. 
Well, that's not technically correct. There were two witnesses resurrected in Revelation. Jesus was resurrected. And when Jesus died and resurrected, what else happened there in Jerusalem? Tombs were opened up, people were resurrected, and they went throughout the city witnessing about the testimony of Yeshua. So there's more than one. There are some miniature resurrections. What about Lazarus? I can tell you what I was told in school. Yeah, but that was before Jesus was resurrected. That one doesn't count. Kid you not. Yeah, that one doesn't count, and he died again anyhow, so that was just a temporary thing. So you can't count that one. Yeah, oh yeah. Y'all are looking at the same look I had. I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but okay. Um, and the reason I'm telling you that is because some of us theologians, man, we get so wrapped up in our theology, and we just, we just can't bend it because it just makes us too nervous. <laughs> we have this view of how we have to package the Scriptures, and we can't get out of it because it messes with our paradigm. It messes with our view of Scripture and what God is doing. And we just can't handle that because we're comfortable with the way we already think. Here it says that these people that are going to reign with Christ are the ones that went. These are tribulation saints. How hard is that to, to understand? It says that these tribulation saints are the ones that are going to be, that are going to be ruling, ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years specifically. A lot of people have a problem with that. Well, what about all the other saints that went on? They suffered too. And? Does God not have the alternative and the, and the privilege to decide who's going to do what, when, and how? Why should we even have a problem with that? This is a specific time period where the kingdom of God is on earth in Jerusalem, and He's going to resurrect these tribulation saints because they endured the very wrath of Satan and endured something no other generation ever endured. Yeshua tells us that when all this happens, the, the calamity will be worse than anything the earth had ever seen beforehand up till that time. And for those of us that go through it, if we here do go through it, we will have to make the decision one day, am I going to serve God even if it costs me my life? And right here, we all go, oh, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. All I can say is I hope I will have the courage. I've never been faced with that in my life. But I hope I will have the courage and unwaveringly say, go ahead, take my life. I don't care. I'm serving Yeshua, and you can't touch my soul. Um, <clears throat> these people... They reign with Christ, and it says specifically for a thousand years, not into eternity, but for a thousand years. Why is that? Because the earth will be replenished during that time, and it is going to be a fascinating time. This is where I want to get into some of these other passages, and they are, there's a lot of them. Some, you, don't, you don't have them all. If you're taking notes, I strongly suggest you write some of these passages down. It's very important. And I'm sorry I didn't get that ready for you ahead of time. Like I said, I just, 
I kind of went into a whirlwind last night and yesterday reading. I was just awestruck, quite honestly. Um, just some other things were jumping out at me. <clears throat> um, in Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21, I want you to see something because we have a tendency to also think that this idea of the resurrection is a New Testament thing. Did you know it's not? Scattered in your Old Testament. Um, this is one of the things that the Sadducees and Pharisees argued over. We went over that a long time ago. You remember? This is how you remember. The Sadducees are sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's how you can remember that. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. Uh, but the Pharisees do. Here's, one, here's three of the passages as to why. In Isaiah 26, 19 through 21, it says, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. Folks, this isn't a ghostly body. Can I get a hallelujah, somebody? Uh, it says, you, uh, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and, sh and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose uh, the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. So when is that going to happen according to that passage? At the end of time. There's going to be a resurrection. In Ezekiel, now Ezekiel is the area that has the most uh, passages dealing with this millennial kingdom. You have to almost start in Ezekiel 33, maybe even a little before, all the way till the end of the book that talks about the millennial kingdom. The details in there are mind-blowing. Details for the priest and the temple and the sacrifices and on and on and on and who they can and can't marry and on and on and on. Yes, all of this going on in the millennial kingdom. Some of y'all got this look on your face like, really? Yes. But you know what? A lot of theologians don't want to deal with those passages. They're problematic. There's these three groups of theology looking at the end of time. I hold to what's called a premillennial belief that Yeshua will come back and there's going to be right before the millennial kingdom, and he will set up his throne on the earth for that thousand years. There are some that believe in what's called the amillennial. Just think of it as a non-millennial. It just basically doesn't exist. It's, it's a metaphor. Think of it that way. I'm really simplifying this this morning. And then there's the post-millennial, which I don't even get that one at all. I'm like, okay, I... I I guess I just don't understand. I'm not smart enough to figure that one out because somehow Jesus is reigning on the ruling on the earth, but he's not here, I guess. I, I don't know. I can't figure that one out. So anyhow, I hold to the premillennial view because I think it's obvious to me. Um, but it, there are also those that have the 
pre-trib, rapture, pre-millennial view that there's this rapture that's going to happen before the tribulation and all of that's also going to happen before the millennial kingdom. Well, they don't want to look at these passages in Ezekiel and the reason, and it's obvious when he's talking. He's talking about at the end of time and he's restored the nations of Israel, uh, all the tribes. He's brought them back into the land. There's peace. His name is honored throughout the world and on and on and on and on. He talks about after the destruction of the, if you think of it as the the war of Armageddon, just picture that one for now, and that Uh, All the nations will be required to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And if they don't, you know, rain's going to be withheld from their land and on. And all these kinds of things are all filled there in Ezekiel and a few other places. But that becomes very problematic, doesn't it? Because, I mean, after all, Jesus died on the cross. We don't have to do all that stuff. And there are mountains of theologians that will say, because... The Old Testament saints got saved by killing sheep. That's how they got saved. Now, they won't be as blunt as that. They'll be more diplomatic. I'm just me. Um, And I'm going, well, it says in Scripture that no man was saved by the sacrifices. Read the book of Hebrews. The sacrifices, what they did, it even says this in the book of Hebrews, that the sacrifices cleansed the flesh so that we would be ceremonial clean when we approached God in the temple. It didn't change the heart. It changed the flesh so that we wouldn't get consumed, killed when we came before a holy God. The only thing that can change the heart so that we can come before a holy God and not be killed eternally is the blood of Yeshua. That's the sacrifice that changed the heart. The other sacrifices cleansed the flesh. Two separate things. Anyways, I want you to see that these prophecies about the resurrection are not limited to just Revelation and Thessalonians and uh, Matthew, uh, these New Testament passages. The reason it's mentioned in the New Testament is because it's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Can it be any more clear? It's the same thing that Jesus said. It's the same thing Yeshua said in Matthew 5. 5. (laughs) It says that those who turn many to righteousness, they're going to shine like the stars forever. In other words, you're going to be great in the kingdom. Shine like the stars. What are the stars? In case you don't know, angels. It's not talking about heavenly bodies. It's not talking about planets. All through the Bible, the word star is many, many, many times referred to a picture, if you will, of angelic beings. So it says you're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. You're going to shine like these shining ones. 
This might rock your boat, but that's what Satan was. So the splendor that he lost, those of us that turn many to righteousness will have the same splendor that he lost. You thought God just had a closet for you to hide in in the big mansion in heaven, didn't you? Then every now and then we'd get out and we'd go worship God for a big worship service. And the rest of the time we're going to be running around talking to Paul and Peter and John and, and the other apostles and maybe some church fathers. And we'll spend some time with our grandparents and our aunts and uncles that went on before us and just kind of talk about what, you know, what life was like. <laughs> You and I are going to be reigning and ruling with him for crying out loud. Will we be doing some of that stuff? I guess. My guess is actually when we get there, we won't care. You're going to be so blown away. You will forget the questions that you had while you were here. The fears that you had here, you're going to forget. When you get, it's going to be so awesome that you're just going to, what question? I have no question. It also says that we're going to know everything. We're going to get this instant download. We're going to understand how we're supposed to operate. We're going to be operating in his economy perfectly. We're going to be reigning and ruling with him. It's, it's going to be incredible. Um, let, let me go on. There, there's a number of other passages here. <clears throat> I want you to see something in, uh, and I, this is going to take me a little longer because I don't have them copied and pasted in here. Write these passages down. Uh, instead of me actually reading all these, let me try to explain them, and then and I, I'll, I'll write them. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what they are. In Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H, Zephaniah 3, verses 8 through 12. Matt will try to put these up here for us, maybe. Zephaniah 3, 8 through 12. You know what's going to happen during the millennial kingdom? This is what it tells us here in Zephaniah. We're all going to have, watch this, one language. He will reverse the Tower of Babel event. And we're all going to have one language. And it says, so that people will be able to call upon the name of the Lord. What are the odds in your Bible it says the name of the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps in your Bible? 100% 100% chance. <laughs> That's what it says in your Bible. But in the original Hebrew, it's going to say, so that all peoples will be able to call upon the name Yahovah. yod Hey vav Hey. So what language are we going to be given? It's not going to be Texican. And it won't be Canadian. <laughs> Folks, it's going to be Hebrew. It, he, and it says he's going to give us a pure language, a pure tongue. He's going to strip away the curse from the Tower of Babel event. And you and I will be downloaded, if you will, like right out of the matrix. We'll get downloaded exactly how to speak fluent Hebrew. So that we will be able to call upon his name perfectly. And watch this. And so there won't be any miscommunication. Interesting, huh? 
Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. In here you'll find that there will, this will be an age of nonviolence and especially among the animal kingdom. It says, the bear and the cow, the calf, will lie down together. The wolf and the lamb. It's not the lion and the lamb. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like a cow. A child will put their hand on a den of snakes and not be bitten. And a child will lead these animals. Can I get a hallelujah? That's going to be pretty cool, right? No violence, and especially among the animal kingdom. Now, if a lion is eating straw, and basically the animal kingdom has reverted back to a basically vegetarian diet, that means a change in our atmosphere and physical makeup. Pretty cool, huh? So you won't have to walk out at night and get worried about getting sprayed by a skunk. Because a skunk won't be scared. And you won't either. Isn't that cool? Now watch this. In Isaiah 65 verse 20. Isaiah 65 verse 20. It's talking about long life. Unimaginable really. It says a young man will die at the age of 100. You'll be considered a child dying too early. If you die at a hundred. Right? Isn't that not cool? It literally says you'll be considered a young man if you die at the age of a hundred. So life will be extended like it was pre-flood. There's going to be an atmospheric change. In Luke chapter 19 Verses 11 through 19. Luke 19, verses 11 through 19. In that passage, Yeshua is giving us the uh, parable of, watch this, a, a man who goes to receive a kingdom. <laughs> While he's gone, there are people... His servants that say, we don't want him to be king. As he leaves, he gives some of his servants these talents. You remember the story? When he comes back into his kingdom, he goes, show me what you got. One of them had five talents, turned it into ten. And he goes, guess what? You're faithful. Now you get Ten cities. Oh. Then there was one that had a few. I can't remember. I'm getting the numbers mixed up. Maybe, you know, two or three or whatever. He comes back and he goes, now you've got five. And the, and the, sir, and the master says, you've been a faithful servant in what you were given. Now you'll have five cities. Yeah. Then there's the evil servant that said, I knew you were a harsh man, and so I took your talent and hid it. 
And God, and he says, basically the, the master says, send him into outer darkness, kill him, and take what he has and give it to the one who has 10. Because the one who has, and he doesn't do what, what he's supposed to, is what he has is going to be taken away from him and given to the one who has some. In other words, God's not going to let his uh, gifts be wasted. And he's going to give it to those under him to rule with him. This is what it says here in this passage in Ephesians, that these people are reigning and ruling with Christ. Yeshua's telling them this story. He's prophesying what he is going to do. And you know what's fascinating about that passage there in Luke? You know where he's going? Where he's literally walking when he makes that comment. He, yeah, he's heading straight to Jerusalem. Where is all this going to be taking place where they're reigning and ruling in the millennial kingdom? From Jerusalem. He's heading to the place where he knows, he knows it's all going to culminate right here. And he goes, let me tell you a story. <laughs> There's this guy who's going to go and get a kingdom. While he's gone, he's going to give some of his blessings, money, to his servants. There's going to be those within here that say, we don't want you to be our king. And when he comes back, he's going to see what his servants did with his stuff. And when they multiplied it, he goes, you know what? You've been a faithful and good servant. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you 10 cities that will belong to you, meaning reign and rule and govern over those cities. You see, this isn't isolated to just this one place. It really is everywhere. Let's go on. Um, in Daniel uh, 27, I mean, it's uh, Daniel 7, verse 27. That one literally says that kingdoms will be given to his saints. And it's once again talking about this end time events. In Daniel 7, 27, we just don't have the time to pull all of these up. It says that kingdoms will be given to his saints to rule. Now, <clears throat> this next one I want you to write down, but it's huge. It's chapters. I just want to encourage you to go read them. Literally in Ezekiel 43 all the way through 46. And you know what you're going to find there talking about this end of time? Ezekiel chapters 43 through 46. And then there's one more passage I'm going to give you. Ezekiel 43 through 46. Those chapters. You know what it's going to talk about? Daily sacrifices. It's going to talk about keeping all of the feasts. All of them. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, tabernacles. It's going to describe all of that, <clears throat> that all of that is going to be going on during this millennial kingdom. It talks about observing God and worshiping God on the Sabbaths and honoring Him at the sighting of the new moon. These are prophecies scattered all over the Scriptures, but this is a huge chunk that talks about all this. And watch this, and it describes it in great 
detail. In as much detail as you will find in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, like in Leviticus. It's that detailed. This is how you're going to do it. This is when you're going to do it. You're going to do it on this day. You're going to do these things. This is what the priest is going to do. These are the people he can marry. These are the people he can't marry. This is what it's supposed to be happening. Da, 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 da. You're going to do it on here and here and here. And it covers all of these things. You, when you're reading it, you think you're reading Leviticus. But what's he talking about? He's talking about the millennial kingdom. It is blatantly clear when this is happening. I'm not the only one that has seen this. I mean, it's in a lot of commentaries. You'll say, yeah, this is happening during the end of time. This is happening during this millennial kingdom. And in the commentaries, they talk about how, you know, all millennialists and all these other people have a problem with these passages, and they talk about how they explain it away. But it is there, and, it, and it's not hidden. Well, I just want to remind you of something. <clears throat> this is huge, Right? This is very important. It's a very serious time on the face of the earth with some pretty interesting things happening. I hate to burst everybody's bubble and upset your apple cart and mess with your emotions, but we're not going to be celebrating Christmas and Easter. It's not going to happen. Um... Don't you think that if God knew that was going to be going on and it was important and that he approved of it, that he would talk about it? <laughs> but he doesn't. He says the exact opposite. Why? Because in Malachi, I think it's in... Matter of fact, of course I could say, pray, read your Bible, repeat. But you ought to read the whole book of Malachi. That's where I got caught up last night and couldn't stop until I don't even know what time it was. I think I finally fell asleep around three this morning um, that I just got into Malachi and I kept reading it over and over and over again and I just went into tears. It, it, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, I, would just, I would just tell you, you know, you, you ought to read it. Um, but in Malachi chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, it, it, here it says, and I wrote it down this way, here we see again that offerings will one day be given again, but this time in complete righteousness and acceptable to Yahovah himself. And once again, he's talking about the millennial kingdom. He's talking about at the end of time when all this stuff happens. And he says, and offerings will be given again during that time. And they will be given in complete righteousness. I got goosebumps. They'll be given, they will, we will be offering it to him in complete righteousness. And he goes, and it will be acceptable to me. Oh my goodness. So you're, probably your instant question is, so then why are the sacrifices offered during this time? Why are they being offered during this millennial kingdom if they're not being offered now? Why did it stop? Why did it stop in 70 AD? And it hasn't happened for 2,000 years. And then we're going to have this 1,000-year period where there's, it's going to be incredibly blissful. We got kids running around 
you know, with bears. We got cows and bears eating hay. And lions eating hay. Grass. My sheep eat grass. It's funny watching them. But a, a lion, you're thinking, their teeth don't work for that. It doesn't make sense. You know, they're, okay, they're going to eat. So we, this, it's blissful. And then we got sacrifices going on in the temple there in Jerusalem. Uh, I think it's in uh, Zechariah or Zephaniah uh, where it talks about people going and celebrating tabernacles. And he says, and if you don't come, of all the nations that, that survive the tribulation period, if you don't come and celebrate tabernacles, then God will withhold rain from your land for a whole year. We haven't had a lot of rain here in about two months. It's not good. Can you imagine a year? So why would God be doing that? Why, why different now? Simple answer, really. Is Yeshua here physically now? No. Uh, will he be there physically then? Yes. Are people going to be required to come before him and worship him physically while he's on the earth physically? Yes, right? And we know that people will be living and dying during that thousand years. But we will live longer. So we're talking about the earth being repopulated. It's just simple logic, right? So if the earth is being repopulated and not everybody on the earth during that time will have resurrected bodies, there's going to be two, two groups. Some will have a resurrected body, reigning and ruling with Him for a thousand years. They never die again. There'll be others that will survive, both, I think, non-believers and believers, that will survive, not many, but will survive, will move into this new era, and will repopulate the earth. God is going to take, evidently, these rulers and disperse them to rule the earth. You tracking with me? But then we will also have to go and worship Him there in Jerusalem. He's holy. If we get there, and for instance, like it says in the Old Testament, touched a dead body and become unclean, ceremonially unclean, doesn't mean you become an evil person, doesn't mean you are now going to burn in hell, it means you became ceremonially unclean, meaning unfit to come before him physically. So if we had touched a dead person, did not go through the ritual to become uh, physically clean once again, and we go, hey God, what's going on? dead. He's, done, he's doing two things. One, he's keeping the area of the new temple or that temple during the millennial kingdom 
holy, and pure. He's also protecting us. You don't want to kill us? So he said, this is how you do this. Same thing that happened in the Old Testament. That's what it was for, to keep them physically clean while God was ruling and reigning in their midst, in the tabernacle, and then, that was the tent, and then the stone temple, so that they could come and worship Him and prove that He's God and not be consumed when they come before Him because they would be physically unclean. It didn't save anybody. It saved their life. You you following that? It didn't save their soul. It saved their life and allowed them to be a light to the nations, proving that Yahovah is the one true God. They failed. He knew they would fail, and he said, I'm going to scatter you, and then I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to bring you back, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to set up my kingdom, and I'm going to prove once and for all that I'm God, and there's no other God like me, and I am going to take the devil and isolate him for a thousand years. You ever ask yourself, why a thousand? Why a thousand? Well, when I was a teenager, I was standing on my driveway, and I started thinking about this, and I went, well, you know, interesting. Why a thousand years? Well, Yeshua's been gone how long? 2,000 years. Peter tells us that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And he said he would be gone three days and three nights and then return. There's a lot of passages in the Old Testament. I don't have time now. This one's just popping in my head. But there's at least two or three passages in the Old Testament that talks about that after the two days that he will come and he will bless us and save us. I firmly believe also that the earth is about 6,000 years old, not billions of years old. I think there's a ton of archaeological proof to prove that. Uh, I don't think it's a theory, and I don't think it's blind faith. I think if you actually believe in evolution, then you are exercising some serious blind faith because you can't even prove where the molecules came from. They just always existed out of nowhere for no reason and crashed together and then created this. Um, Absolutely amazing. Anyways, so the earth is about 6,000 years old. And Yeshua came, and there's so many numerotic, numerical uh, patterns here. I don't, I don't have time. I've, I've already run out of time. Um, about, about all of this, and Yeshua coming on the 4th. It's in the middle. <laughs> uh, and anyways, and then he dies, which is a picture of history, all of history. And then when he comes back, he's going to reign and rule for the third day, and it's also the seventh day. It's the the seventh day. It's the one week, according to God. And so what he's going to do is he's going to say, look, (laughs) on the seventh day, 
It's a Sabbath. Everything's going to rest. There's not going to be any violence. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares. That's when that happens. The UN won't make it happen, even though they have it plastered on the wall. The UN will not make it happen. God will. That's when it happens. Children, babies, will be able to play with pythons and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, and it'll be a Sabbath. And then after the Sabbath, God will release Satan to find out what's really in our heart. No one will be able to blame the devil. No one will be able to blame bad government or bad politics. I don't like that politician. I didn't vote for him. He's not my president. And all that other kind of junk. For a thousand years. But in people's hearts, they will be grumbling. Because there's this guy ruling and reigning this country of Texas. And he's been here for 800 years. And I didn't elect him. Can you see how people might start thinking? When they get birthed into this. And they're two, three hundred years old. And this guy was here for three hundred years before I got here. And he's still here. And he's telling me I got to do these things. And I got to go to Jerusalem. And I need to do this. And I need to worship this guy that calls himself Yeshua. I don't know anything. I wasn't even here during all of that. You see, you and I can't fathom living to be a hundred years and dying and being a child. We can't, fat, we can't wrap our brain around a bear and a cow getting along without one of them being eaten for lunch. We can't wrap our brain around that. There will be people during the millennial kingdom that won't be able to wrap their brain around anything else. They're like, you mean they used to eat them? I don't understand. People died of snake bites? I have them for pets. I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean people died at age 30 of cancer? What's cancer? I don't understand. They won't be able to wrap their brain around that. And they're going to go, yeah, and there's this guy over here, this lady, this person, and they don't even look, I mean, they don't kind of look, oh, woo. You know, they got this different body. They're still around. I didn't elect them. I'd like to do my own thing. What if I want to do something? Watch this. What if I want to do it different? I can't be the only one, right? Tell me I can't do something. And man, I will die trying to prove you wrong. Can I, is, there, is there another witness? One of you guys, come on now. Okay, I, I got one, I got two, I got, I got three. Can, can you give me four? Can you give me, I got four, okay. <laughs> Some of you ladies, can y'all can testify? Okay, I, I got another one here. Okay, tell me I can't do something. And I'm like, man, I'm, tell me I can't do it like that. What do you mean, why? I'm, I'll show you, it can be done that way because I thought of it, right? We actually think we're going to think differently. There's going to be people that will think like that. Satan will get released, and God's going to be able to say, you know what? You were raised and born in the Garden of Eden. And you did the same thing Adam and Eve did. We're so quick to think, man, Adam and Eve were idiots. 
They were walking with God for crying out loud. And this serpent comes by and says, well, why don't you go ahead and eat the fruit? They went and ate the fruit. And we're going, Eve, you idiot. Adam, you're even more dumb. You were standing there watching her. What a knucklehead. I'm going to slap you around. Now, look what we got to deal with. I can't be the only one that's ever thought that, right? God's going to prove once and for all. That's just in all of our hearts. Because it says that when he releases Satan, there's going to be this massive army come up against God and his saints and encamp around them. But there will not be a fight. Because when that happens, it says fire will come down from heaven and consume them. But I want you to notice something. It says, and Satan, and notice it doesn't say demons. There's only one being. Satan. And he convinces the nations. Why? Because evidently they're already bent or they wouldn't. And it says that when they come, the fire consumes the army. The army is who? People. They are consumed. Satan is grabbed and bound and thrown into the lake of fire. It's Satan that's thrown into the lake of fire, not all of those that come with him at that time. That comes with the the final judgment. So I really went over. I thank you for staying with me on this. But here's what I want you to... That time is going to be really fascinating, right? There's a lot of things happening. It's not people just floating around, you know, playing our harps and, you know, talking to Peter and Paul and, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) whatever, Uh, you know, and finding out what it it was like back in the day. We're going to be very busy. The earth will be changed. We'll be tilling the earth, eating the fruit of our labors. We'll be working and doing things, but it won't feel like work. It'll be like being in the Garden of Eden once again. Hallelujah, right? This is like fantastic news. And this whole thing about the millennial kingdom really isn't a mystery if we'll just read and read it in, read it in context. And it, it's, it's right there. 